Music Biz, 101 more. Brave New Radio, 88.7. WPSC, the official radio station of William Patterson, the university. Located on 10,000 scenic rolling acres of gorgeous farmland with horses, cows, and cattle in Wayne Township, New Jersey. And liars, seven, too. And many people who lie. This is Where'd the song go? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> we were listening to, we had this whole mood thing going. Um, this is Brave New Radio, 88.7, Music Biz 101 and more. You were just listening to the sweet sounds of El Senor Rob Fusari. That was his new single, Don't Let Love Down, uh-huh. which is going to be released through William Patterson University and uh, a lot of their help on April 8th. But that's a little bit more in the future. I am your professor, David Kirk Thilp, with my always favorite co-host. His name is Dr. Esteban. I am his professor. My first favorite professor. Yes. Dr. Esteban. Good to hear from you. We've been so busy, (laughs) our fans don't realize it. They think we're together like glue. And that is not the case. Not the case at all. No, no, it's more like... We're passing ships Mm -hmm. this time of year, especially... Right. Which reminds me of a Barry Manilow song written by Ian Hunter that I will not sing for you. Oh. But it's a classic. Copacabana? It's, uh, it's actually called Ships. Ah, Big I hit for Barry. I think I uh, 79. We have, a, we have a producer here who's producing this show. Her name is Bianca Russo. Her name is Bianca Russo. Yes. She's producing the show. Russo, the show. Russo. So thank you, Bianca Russo. Loving every second that you're here. The second you leave, the love goes away. So thank you, Bianca Russo. And speaking of love, we have a very fine, wonderful sophomore music biz student who is our student co-host tonight. Her name is Marla Cassenti. Her name is Marla Cassenti, and she's our co-host. Marla, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. That's it? That's all. It's going well. Minutes. It's going well, Marla. Okay, You're it's college. going well. I'm sorry. Very good. Okay. And Marla, you are a music management student here at William Patterson? Yeah. Why did you choose William Patterson and why music management? I chose William Patterson because it was the only school that I, like, didn't have a panic attack when I auditioned at. So I figured, good sign, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. music management because I realized I didn't want to teach, but I still want to tell people what to do. So I figured there we mm-hmm. go. that would be the way to go. And you're a singer. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, Marconi, I'm going to be in a band <laughs> with Marla. Yes. On uh, Year of Our Lord 2016, April 28th, ah. we're going to be performing with the aforementioned Rob Grant, Great. two-time Grammy winner Rob. Are singing Busari. back up for him? Yeah, with Christina. 
Great. Yes, uh, Marla will be singing backups. I will be on drums. Rob Fusari will be singing lead and playing the piano. Has he heard you play drums yet? Rob? Yes. yes we had one one band practice. It was excellent. We had other students. Bobby Mahoney on the guitar. Ashley O'Vera on the guitar. Cole Mazaliski on the bass guitar. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. So that's April 28th. We'll talk more. But that's uh, a class is doing that whole thing. We need to give some thanks. going to wear the same T-shirts together? Oh, my God. Can we all match? We're Just all going like to wear, uh, yeah. Sparkly Rob Fusari t-shirts. Mm-hmm. We're going to look like the Commodores circa 1978. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Got the jumpsuits going. We mm-hmm. should give thanks to uh, a few different th- things before we get to our awesome guest, who I believe, Ru- uh, Bianca, I almost called you just Russo. Jim has called in, correct? Okay. So, Jim, Jim Mahoney, are you there? Jim Mahoney. Okay. You hear me? Oh, there we go. Now we can hear you. How are you, Jim? Yep. Ah, all right. We haven't introduced you formally yet, but we wanted to acknowledge that you're alive. I am alive. All right. Our, our, our friend Jim Mahoney, GM of Merlin, is on the other line, and he's going to be talking the majority of this in just a moment. May we give thanks to a few people deserving of thanks, Jim, before we get into you? <laughs> I want to thank you guys for having me. No, that, that's, that's enough. That's <laughs> my mom, right? And thank- if I'm uh, accepting award, God. I know. By the, by the way, Steve Marconi, who is my co-host, is a Hall of Famer. Syracuse yes, Area Music Awards Hall of Famer is what he is. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yes. So, so, um, Sammy Award. Yeah. So I don't know if you've spoken with many Hall of Famers while on the radio I, I in New Jersey. I don't travel amongst the Hall of Fame set. No. Yeah. Ah. This, is, this is good for you, Jim. I think you're going to enjoy this. I'm intimidated now. Before we get to Jim Mahoney, let's give thanks to the Music Biz Association. Save the date for May 16th through the 18th, 2016, when Music Biz goes to Music Biz in the Music City. We will be there, your Music Biz 101 and more show with lots of students interviewing industry pros, making connections in Nashville at the Music Biz 2016 convention. So excited. Including Marla, you will be there as well. We're going to meet lots of people. Hey, Jim Mahoney, are you going to the Music Biz Convention? I will be in Nashville, yes. Ah, Anyway, you should go to Nashville. Jim Mahoney will be able to shake hands, rub flesh. It'll be awesome. Come by and say hello. (laughs) Yes, we will say hello to you, Jim Mahoney. So Jim Mahoney is going to be there. And we also want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready, when it's time for you to go. Because they're ready now, mm-hmm. but it's really up to you as a band. And finally, we want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson, the university, to manage their investments, plan out their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan your retirement or have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a jingle at 732-455-1510, or you can email her, Christine at veyvaywealth.com for advisement. And she works with Steve Marconi personally. And no portfolio is too small. No. <laughs> the wealthier you are, the happier she is. Unquote. <laughs> that is right. So why don't we, uh, the final thanks is our friend Dan Goldberg at Warner Music Group. Yes. Who is the fella who introduced us to our guest tonight. Our guest is Jim Mahoney, who is the GM of the U.S. Office of Merlin. He's formerly the VP of the Association of Independent Music, which is the nonprofit trade organization representing U.S. independent music companies. And Jim has over 20 years of experience in the independent label sector, including executive positions at Fat Beats, Roadrunner, and Profile. 
and Jim maintains and develops Merlin's U.S. membership, offering U.S. independents a greater insight of the value that Merlin can offer their digital business. And that's all. I didn't read that. That's all from my yes. heart, Jim Mahoney. You do it better than I do, Dave. Yes, yes, thank you. have been working very hard for that. So, Jim, our good friend, Dr. Stephen Marconi, is going to start with the third degree. And thank you, Jim Mahoney of Merlin. Jim Mahoney of Merlin. Well, I defer to Dan Goldberg, of course. All roads go through Dan Goldberg. That's right. Oh, did did, did uh, Dan work for you years ago, right? Yes, he was probably like 12. And, and, be, and by the time he was 13, he was ready to get beyond me. Oh, that's right. All right. So... Uh, most people, when they see, hear the word Merlin, they think of Disney and uh, something. So I think I'd ask you, I think for the audience, of course, what is Merlin and how did the name come about? <laughs> I, I wasn't around when Merlin um, was founded. My guests, smarter people than me, when they came up with it, backed into the name, uh, the, the incorporated name, and just like Merlin, right? Because Merlin... Is an acronym standing for Music Entertainment Rights Licensing Independent ah. Network. And presuming no one names their company something that long, right. they, they had Merlin in place, right? Great. Yes. So how did they start? They started Merlin obviously a, in a, Europe. Started by a, a collection of independent label and distributor owners, um, a global set. There were some Americans and some Europeans. Um, <clears throat> in, and it was formed from a thought that started to arise in 2005 and 6 um, with the earliest streaming digital streaming music digital models where some independents they, they just can't get in line right they can't get down with the company mm -hmm. program and mm -hmm. they don't like to go through distributors they've always wanted to work direct sell direct to mom and pop stores if they could go mm -hmm. direct to iTunes when they could and with the streaming space it was just, it was it was learned pretty early that the trick was going to be about having clout enough to negotiate fair terms in the licensing of your repertoire to these streaming services. And uh, rather than rely on a distributor, a for-profit distributor to take care of that, they launched their own um, body, Merlin, to act as their digital licensing agent with these streaming companies. And it, it is a... 2005, by the way, I'll add, when streaming music was more of a, a thought <laughs> um, than an actual marketplace. And it is not-for-profit. Well, it's a not-for-profit foundation owned and governed by the members themselves. Right? Uh -huh. So all the, any revenue that's generated on behalf of the organization goes to the management of the organization, paying my minimum wage salary, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. and everything else goes back to the labels who um, participate in the licenses and, ger and generate that revenue. So is it sort of a one-stop for indie labels? Do they get... Uh... You know, do they do more than the rights with the streaming services? Do they, you, you know, handle performing members, rights and so on with them for them? We don't get into the place of, uh, of um, you know, performance rights, uh, neighboring rights, or anything like that. Those are handled. Those are statutory uh, uh, royalties that are collected and paid mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. um, uh, PROs, right. generally, you know, like Sound Exchange here in the States or PPL in the U.K. No, these are... Um, what you would want to think of is who we work with, who Merlin licenses are, for lack of a better term, um, digital retail outlets. So it's an on-demand service, services mm -hmm. such as Spotify or Google Play or YouTube or now SoundCloud, where the music fan 
can go to the to the service and select a song and hear that song on demand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the services that we license um, as a one-stop shop. Well, we certainly offer that out to the DSPs. We have a global membership representing over 750 member companies who themselves represent distributed labels and other companies. So it, we, we tally it to about 20,000 independent labels across the globe mm-hmm. who participate or are active as Merlin members. And so a service who wants to treat independence fairly can come to Merlin and negotiate with one entity, us, a license at fair terms that if they you know, can get a deal done with us, have an opportunity to then close that deal with over 20,000 labels across the globe. Mm-hmm. And our members wouldn't accept those pro forma deals, no negotiations, click a button and sign here, um, and aren't easily uh, obtained or negotiated with on an individual basis. You'd have to have a pretty hefty business affairs team to, to handle negotiating individually across every single one of those members. Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a, a favorite nation type thing involved when you're negotiating for one or two for the rest of the membership or not, or just one individual? We, we only, we, we, we negotiate collective on behalf of a collective membership with an eventual deal um, reached and then put in front of every single member. It's the same deal for every member. Ah, uh, so that really helps the smaller independent. Uh, it was, um, it, you know, one of our most well-known and outspoken uh, members of the chairman of our board, Martin Mills, who's the founder and chairman of the Beggars Group, mm-hmm. uh, Excel and Matador and Rough Trade. Right. Anyway, Martin um, very much believes in, in the, um, you know, the boats rising, all boats rise in high tide kind of theory. And while his label is particularly powerful and he might be able to do very well right now for himself, I, I I hate to speak for Martin, but I would say that he understands that in good times or bad, if he's with a strong enough collective of independents, when he's down, another independent may be up. The value of the independent music market um, remains pretty consistent. But mm-hmm. at any given time, one label might be hotter than the next. And so he, he along with the, all the rest of our members, yeah, the bigger members, throw in with the lot and help pull the entire marketplace up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that the Indies collectively are about a third of the business in terms of um, the recording revenue stream. So this is actually a very um, important aspect for the uh, overall health of the, you know, of the business, not just Indies. From your lips to God's ears, I mean, we, we pitch that case to both the services and our cousins on the major label side that they don't, that nobody wants to harm the music economic uh, playing field so much so that it makes it disadvantageous to be an independent because independent labels have traditionally invested in all of the new music genres. Many of the artists um, that are kind of early um, or maybe, you know, not hit driven like the majors are, are so want to invest in. Uh, and so we've played a vital role culturally and economically to the music, to all music fans and to the music market, right? Mm. Um, but in a capitalist society where everybody sets about just making sure that they're taking care of their own, that longer-term good um, can be overlooked when one is trying to extract that last 
uh, morsel <laughs> of a deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What attracted you to um, come into the fold? Into Merlin? Mm-hmm. Well, my role at A2IM, which is not the same. A2IM is the American Association of Independent Media right. that they've referred to before, and I've been there for seven years, um, working closely with independent labels, getting to know what, listening and getting to know what was working and what wasn't working for independent labels. Um, and and so much of the conversation from 2007 to 2014 when I was at H2M was about streaming music and how it was coming and what a disruptor it was going to be on the heels of the previous disruptor, which was just free music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on, on licensed and uncompensated music. Well, now we had a streaming model and it was going to cannibalize downloads, cannibalize physical sales, and, oh, my God, we better watch out. The sky is falling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Merlin was establishing and growing its power base and doing important deals. One of its earliest and most important deals, of course, was with Spotify. It was also representing independent labels, its members, in commercial infringement actions, not suing um, grandmas or kids, but companies like Groove Shark or Last FM or LimeWire on behalf of independent repertoire owners mm-hmm. because the majors would traditionally sue those companies and either win litigation or settlements and then not share that money out with their independent labels to mm-hmm. distribute. So Merlin was growing its power base, but because for the very question that you know I'm going to try and get answered for you here tonight, many Americans, American independent labels, sort of more than any place else on the globe, rely on major label distribution arms. Um, Sony, Warner, and Universal all have mm-hmm. independent distribution companies um, that are, in fact, though, divisions of the major labels themselves. Um, and so over time, that creates a lethargy, a dependence as a, rather than an independence. Um, and so I know so many more of these American independents uh, than maybe the founders of Merlin that when they decided to open a U.S. office, I'd already worked pretty closely with Merlin. I knew all of these American independents, and I felt I might be uniquely positioned to lend a hand in terms of the education gap. My job isn't to sign up every independent and pull them out of distribution and tell them that's a bad thing, but just to arm them with the knowledge of the resource that's available at Merlin should they determine they want to do this on their own. Mm-hmm. So does um, AIM still define an indie as um, one that does not distribute through a major? Or there, no, is no. It... So H-U-I-M... I'm sorry to interrupt you then. No, go ahead. So A2IM counts amongst its members. Anybody who is independently owned or controlled, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and that's an important mark, right? Um, the majors win, just like when any big giant wins, when the little guys fight amongst themselves. And so there's been an age-old fight that dates back prior to when I was in the music business even as to who's indie enough. Well, you're indie. I'm, if you're with the majors, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I'm more indie than you. Well, who wins? The majors mm-hmm. do, right? The big guys do. Yeah. To keep that chaos below them, then they they rise above and become the only clear voices in the music space. And so HYM's position is: if you're independently owned or controlled, you control your own budgets, you own your masters, but you're distributed by the majors. At the end of that distribution deal, you can leave to another distributor and bring with you those masters. You're an independent label, mm. qualified, and so mm-hmm. 
some of the bigger named independents who, you know, work at the highest ends of the business would include like Big Machine Record, who is a member of H-U-I-M and of Merlin, um, Taylor Swift's label, by the way. And they elect to have their distribution here in the States done by Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scott Borchetta owns that label, owns the Masters, and has that relationship with Taylor Swift and the other artists on Big Machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cash Money would be another label like that. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with some folks who work around Cash Money, mm-hmm. and I understand that they're independent, but I haven't, they haven't joined either, neither Merlin nor um, H-O-I-M. They are, I guess Little Wayne is embroiled in a, in a lawsuit that just broke the other day with Universal in which the press has reported they are independent, so I, I can take that as a source. And say mm-hmm. But I don't have first-hand knowledge. We have a bunch of, obviously, um, budding songwriters and artists listening in because uh, it's a college radio station, and many of them, of course, write their own material, and they have maybe tiny labels that they started uh, would they be able to? Is there any qualification to be a member of uh, Merlin? They could join Merlin, right? Um, so Merlin's only qualification to be a member is to that you must be independently owned. Right? Mm-hmm. It costs nothing to join Merlin, um, and the membership itself doesn't obligate any member to participate in any particular Merlin action. We're entirely non-exclusive. Um, so someone could call me tomorrow become a member, filling out the, the membership application, um, and then be a member and maybe not act on any of the resources that are available and do that for years if they wish. It's not, it's not how we're designed necessarily. It's not what we're after. But certainly I think I would encourage anybody, even the smallest uh, independent labels who are listening tonight, to contact me. I'm jim at merlinnetwork.org. Um, and, and inquire about becoming a member, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the members who join and then actively participate, my advice to them, and it's only advice, and, and they can take it as they wish, um, it, you, you're better off having a level of acumen in terms of how the digital marketplace works because to work independently and directly with DSPs who are being pulled by every single uh, player in the marketplace, from the biggest to the smallest, including the majors, for attention on their music, well, to do that on your on your own, because Merlin is only your digital licensing agent. We're not right. your distributor. We're not going to market or promote. Yeah, to be clear, agent. yes, we're not pitching you for placement. Well, it's pretty difficult, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, scale is tough in terms of covering the independence from the DSP level. Um, the biggest or most successful DSPs hire two or three people total to cover mm-hmm. contact across the entire independent sector. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you want to grow your business. And so the first thing you're, you should do when you're, if you're sitting and listening to the show uh, and looking to get into the business is you know, look around you and try and, and create a circle of people to help prop you up and make you one step bigger than what you are on your own. Mm-hmm. And to continue to do that along the way until you've established circle wide enough and a level of education and skill in, in how the music industry or how music promotions and marketing and business works to be able to handle taking that out onto your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So someone here who has that original songs and they have their own little label, 
and they're on SoundCloud, and maybe they have a YouTube channel, and they're trying to get to Spotify and so on. They have to understand that Merlin is basically going to be one who keeps track of your um, revenue that you get from these services and then distributes it to you. But then they're not an aggregator or something that they may be looking for and just get confused about when, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the last thing we want to do is harm the independent music sector, right? If I can talk about it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think the, the greatest harm we could do is to mislead anyone into thinking that, you know, plug in with Merlin, and man, you're off to the races, and you're going to do fantastic yeah. on Spotify and YouTube. There's there's some work that goes in, into that. It's not anything that's completely unaccomplishable, but I don't want to mislead anybody. Yeah. What I should say though is that in addition to independent labels who are members of Merlin, many many independent distributors, most of the ones that you would name if you started to like talk about who the independent distributors or aggregators that are out there. Mm -hmm. So long as they are independently owned, they're eligible to join Merlin as well on that same non-exclusive basis. And so most of the, mo the more reputable independent distributors in the U.S. are members of Merlin. And, and through that, an independent label, an artist who's wishing to get to the market under the best deal terms possible, Merlin deal terms, mm -hmm. join, can, can, try and attract or do business with an independent distributor who's a Merlin member. Right. So are like a CD baby or a tune core who are aggregators? 50% of those are Merlin members. 50% mm -hmm. <laughs> of the two. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was well, just going to okay. say, are you allowed to even say who, who members are? So I don't want to get you, you in know, trouble. Not, not typically. Right. So our board of directors, um, our members themselves and they're viewable on our website and every single member company takes a different view about whether or not they'd like it known uh, publicly that they're a Merlin member. And here's why. Well, there's several reasons and I'll, I won't bore you with it, but ego's part of it. One part of it, Hey, I do good deals on my own. I don't need Merlin mm -hmm. to do a deal mm -hmm. for me. It's really not about that. It's about the market clock, right? The, the market share that we can collectively bring to the marketplace. Um, but the other thing is, is that because we're a non-exclusive relationship with our members, none of our members cede the right to do a direct deal with any DSP. So we have members who might participate in our Spotify and our YouTube and our Google Play deal, but they've done their own SoundCloud deal um, or any other in, in, uh, combination. And so they think that it could be that a member could think that if it's publicly broadcast that they're a Merlin member, and maybe a DSP wouldn't want to engage with them directly, rather just pushing them into the Merlin deal. Mm -hmm. I, I started hearing a lot about you guys, um, and, and I want to preface this, but I think, I think Merlin and Sound Exchange between the, the, your two companies are probably the most misunderstood companies in the music industry. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I was very excited to have you on the air, because uh, I don't think enough people know if I went to, you know, 50 people in the industry, tell me all about Merlin. Uh, I'm sure at least half of them would do what Steve Marconi said and, and t talk about, you know, uh, a Disney character or something. Um, <laughs> so um, I think that's great. And sound exchange is the same way. Um, I don't think enough people understand the difference between sound exchange and the PROs, for example. But um, I started hearing a lot more about Merlin last summer, summer of 
2015 when YouTube Red, Red was coming out. And there were um, this is was an example of you guys uh, publicly. I think Martin Mills was probably the the loudest voice um, speaking out, stating that YouTube was not offering um, the indies the same deal as the major labels, and that you guys were able to actually, in the end, from what I've read, um, come up with with a deal that was fair for your membership. And I think that's something that uh, you know indie labels need to understand also um, it's almost like you're a union you're a trade organization you're representing their interests to get them the best deal possible it's yeah, yeah you know and my mom taught me that it's um, uh, impolite to correct your host but it was the summer of 2014 with YouTube um, and that particular uh, tussle was really Merlin Merlin is a negotiator you can imagine um, tends to do better when we respect the partners that we're trying to get a deal done with and we don't really speak out publicly um, in the midst of a, uh, a negotiation. But our members are often the same members of the trade associations like ATYM and the global kind of UN-like body for, for uh, independent trade associations is a body called WIN, which is the World Independent Network, I know by mentioning another body, I, I might be mutter, muddying the waters, but WIN is, is the global body for independent labels in terms of trade association, advocacy, and PR. And since our members, Merlin's members and HYM WIN members overlap, um, often actions or outspoken uh, uh, positions by the trade associations get misunderstood as a position for Merlin, in particular, if Martin is one of the spokespeople for it, because when someone prefaces that this quote is coming from Martin Mills and Martin Mills is XYZ, well, he's also the chairman of the Merlin board. And so it can be easily misunderstood that these are public comments from Merlin. But YouTube, um, when they were launching actually the, the 2014 Music Key service that's now been shuntered in, in favor of the YouTube Red Music mm -hmm. Service. Um, yes, they were having a difficult time with the trade associations while also engaging with Merlin on negotiations for a fair license for independent labels. Um, I was part of HYM at the time, and, and so part of the kind of global outspoken position from independents that we didn't feel as though at the time YouTube was treating independents fairly. Um, actually bullying a bit in terms of you know, sign this license or we're going to take your music content down. It turns out that no content was ever taken down and, and you know, people got their feathers ruffled. But I will say that it contributed to keeping the pressure on YouTube to achieve a, a good deal with, with Merlin, right? Um, and I have to be careful there. It's not. I don't want to give the, give the impression that that pressure was something manipulated by Merlin, um, but it's it's a very hard thing to separate since some of our members overlap. Right? Mm. Uh, 2015, if I might, <laughs> saw its own fight um, for the independent sector again with Martin playing a leading outspoken role, and that was in the run up to the launch for the Apple Music Service. Uh, yeah. um, okay where some outspoken members of, of the trade associations in Merlin, along with uh, young Miss Taylor Swift, um, were able to help keep some pressure on Apple to come to the table and do a better job for independence. And, and that one played out where it was a better job for all artists and labels, including the majors. 
Mm-hmm. Now, does Merlin have independent um, attorneys that do the negotiations? Or- we have a, a marvelous team. Um, so our company, our, the foundation, is headquartered in, in Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a services team in the U.K., London, where our business affairs is run. Um, and running point on that is a team of three. Our CEO, Charles Caldas, uh, General Counsel Charlie Lexton, and Director of Business, um, Ryan McWinney. We employ outside counsel when necessary. Um, you know, I think in the States we've worked with Mitchell Silverberg enough quite a bit, Munger and Tolls um, and some others. But, um, but most of the deal negotiation, deal uh, making is done by that team of three, I think. Mm. Okay. We have a tweet for you that uh, our student co-host Marla Cassenti is going to read to you. Hi, Marla. Hi. So Ariana wants to know, do you feel that the community of indie labels have amassed the same power as the big three? Yes and no. Right? <laughs> yes, in that it's, it's unwise and, and the music curbs and, and gutters are littered with companies that tried to launch without um, a full set of Merlin independent music content. Um, I'll name them. I mean, Spiral Frog and MySpace Music. There's a reason that some of those companies failed. Um, so on that level, yes, we need to be taken seriously. Um, we have a voice. We can do well and will do well um, at the negotiating table. We don't have the same power. Then again, the smallest of the majors don't have the same power as the largest of the majors in terms of being able to um, dictate the way the market works. Um, perhaps stopping certain services from entering the marketplace in the way that they would like to. SoundCloud, for instance, was was announced as one type of service, and then they did a license with the two largest majors and came out as a different type of service. Um, so I think that the, the clout wielded by the largest majors still impacts the business marketplace greater than or differently than at least mm-hmm. um, the clout that the independence and the smallest major can yield. And didn't I read r- recently that Sony has um, given SoundCloud cash? Uh, I thought I read that the last yeah. couple of days. Yeah, last week Sony and SoundCloud came to an agreement. They were last of the big three. Mm-hmm. And then SoundCloud. So we have a, a, a similar situation as we have with Spotify where the majors have a uh, stake in the company. Well, uh, you know, in many cases, Merlin um, secures equity positions on behalf of our members with services as well. It, you know, when the services negotiate licenses with the largest companies, the largest companies less interested in the performance royalties, the per stream royalties, so, so as to not to confuse performance royalties, per stream royalties, but in exchange, but instead are much more interested in upfront or or cash positions that help their quarterly earning statements, or the equity positions that you know look good on books, mm-hmm. and they do that at perhaps the expense of the per stream royalties, um, mm. but then lock the services into MFNs. It's very difficult then to come in after the fact or be at the table trying to finish a deal and say, "Well, we want higher per stream royalties." They can't do that. They've mm-hmm. already given away an MFN saying that they won't, mm-hmm. right? So then you're, you're left to 
kind of negotiate or position yourself to achieve terms that are available on the table. And so in many cases, Merlin, um, on behalf of our members, will seek equity or advanced dollars or minimum guarantees that, that are part of these commercial licenses. Mm. Could you expi- explain again, because I'm sure um, there are some people listening who MFN means most favored nations. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of get into, kind of almost repeat what you just said, um, but for the people listening who, who might not completely understand what you were just talking about in terms of how MFN will basically stop I don't want to uh, stop the rise of royalties and, and what the purpose I, of that I is. I want to make sure that I, that there's some speculation on, in terms of, from my part, saying that, oh, it comes at the expense of the purse string royalty. Mm-hmm. But there's some logic I'd like you to apply, and every listener can understand this. If Dave comes to me and says, hey, Jim, I have a fantastic service. It's going to get a million people listening to your music by next year. I just need you to license me the rights to perform the music. And I'll tell you what, today I have zero listeners. No one's paying me. Um, but as soon as I start getting listeners, I'll pay you a penny a stream. Well, if I'm a for-profit entity that needs to show quarterly earnings to um, make sure that I get my bonus structure, I might say back to Dave, hmm, Dave, you want my music? And you say that if you get listeners, you'll, you'll pay me a penny a stream? The hell with that. Give me a million dollars right now. And maybe, you know, give me ownership upside, ownership in your company. And whether you get any listeners or not, six months from now, I want you to give me another million dollars as a guaranteed minimum revenue for the, I'm assuming, part of your risk. Dave, you want to do this business. I didn't ask you to do this <laughs> business. <laughs> and Dave goes, oh, crap. Well, if I can pony up a million dollars, I'll get that music. Hmm, but I'm a smart businessman, too. So I'll say, all right, here's your million dollars, Jim, as an advance. But can you help me out on the royalty rate and instead of a penny? Maybe I pay you a tenth of a penny per stream. Well, if I'm the capitalist who's, who doesn't know if Dave's business is going to last or not, I'll say, sure, you can pay sure. me a tenth of a penny. <laughs> and, I'll, and, and write that check. It's M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, by the way, for that million. <laughs> and just so that I'm not held out as a sucker down the road, Dave, you got to promise me that you won't pay anybody else more than a tenth of a penny. So Dave says, wow. okay, signs that most favored nation, MFN, mm-hmm. with me. So he's locked in. He, if he pays anybody more than a tenth of a penny on a stream, he's got to come back to me and raise my rate. Yeah. Well, then Dave goes down the road to my friend Ted, and he licensed Ted's music. Ted's not smart enough or not strong enough to ask for the million dollars and says, okay, I'll license your service, Dave, but I want a penny a stream. And Dave goes, sorry, but what I can do for you is I can guarantee you to offer you the same royalty rate as I gave to Jim. And there it is. That's great. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I do have my own streaming service, and I was going to go to you to li- ask for all your music. So. I'm a bastard, man. I want the mill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, could we? Uh, Marla has another tweet she would like to read to you. Uh, Joseph asked, "What do you think of streaming's future for sites like Pandora? Pandora with SoundCloud now offering a pro subscription service." Well, Pandora isn't there yet, right? So Pandora, and, and this gets to Dave's earlier comment about the confusion between Sound Exchange and Merlin, and and what, who gets licensed what. Pandora is a non-interactive service at the moment. I know what the, tweet, uh, the, the Twitter question is asking, but let me just right. set it up. That Pandora is considered a non-interactive service. 
they're allowed to play whatever music they wish under a statutory license, paying the master owner and the performing artists royalties at a government set rate to the body sound exchange. And so SoundCloud has launched now a licensed on-demand streaming service um, licensed across the music industry as far as I know. Um, and, and it's a fully on-demand interactive service, not eligible for the statutory license, so they require completing a direct license in those fund negotiations with Universal, Sony, Warner, and, and Merlin. Okay. Are you still there? I am. I oh, okay. Okay. It, so <laughs> it felt if like... I could, if Marla, if there's something to finish there, like, so I, I didn't answer the Twitter um, question. I just kind of dis distinguished between the two. What's specifically the question about those two? What, what was it, basically, what did you feel the future of streaming was, especially as it pertained to uh, the new SoundCloud uh, platform. Yeah, so, um, yeah. I mean, new you... SoundCloud service, there's a lot to still be seen, and there will be a lot of changes, I believe, um, in the coming months because they were one service that pitched themselves as becoming sort of a hybrid and another type of service of, of what they were originally, and then in the last couple of weeks have had to kind of remake themselves and repitch themselves as an entirely different type of service. Um, so I, I think that the jury's still out in terms of, like, how are they going to act um, and what's that going to do in terms of the marketplace. Pandora, it, it, you know, that one of the worst-kept secrets in the music business is that, uh, yes, they, they, you know, they look like they're doing everything they can to move towards a, a directly licensed on-demand type service as well. And, and I think that um, they're a force to be reckoned with important company, and I think they will get towards their goals. And so to answer that question specifically, I think that the future of the streaming music uh, world is more direct licenses. Um, I don't know how that will impact the statutory service, the statutory license. It could be that new services will come up in the wake. If Pandora moves to an on-demand service, it might create an opening or a lane for somebody to come, another service to come in and fill that radio service niche. Um, but I, I'd rather doubt it. I think that the future is going to be direct licenses. And it's getting crowded. I mean, that the whole on-demand thing is starting now to get really crowded. It, and, e and even more so, um, Marconi was talking about how uh, crowded it's getting, and even more so when you add in exclusives on certain platforms. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, the marketplace will sort itself out that with that. I think labels and artists have to determine what their best strategy is in terms of how to reach their fans. And and I think that's where labels, managers, artists can become the experts. They don't need me prattling on about it. exclusives and, and fights for that. But but that's age old, right? I mean, we, we had that back when we were signing, sh uh, selling shiny uh, circular discs. Best Buy wanted this three-track exclusive added onto the main CD. So I think that'll be there. Um, in terms of the market being crowded, I'm endlessly fascinated with probably your audience's feelings about can the streaming music model support multiple players? Is there room for competition? Or will we ultimately end up with one or two services and that's it? Um, because I come from a perspective of competition being a good thing for independence, right? Um, the larger and singular we are in any one dominant service, the more lethargic 
and, and less likely to take chances or make offerings that are appealing to independents uh, they become. Uh, we've seen that with FM radio. As FM radio stations um, became merged into big conglomerates of CBS and Clear Channel with those two companies in particular owning nearly every radio station in town, what happened is you, you ended up with a single station for every single format, but no overlapping or competition formats. And I, I, I loathe that in the streaming music space. So while because the, 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 the marketplace is very, very new and there are still miles to go in terms of converting people to paying for streaming access, um, I, I hope that the marketplace actually isn't crowded because right now you have a very few number of services returning meaningful revenue to creators, um, and then a lot of other services talking about getting into the space and, but not really being able to find their, their footing. Correct, but Spotify has the jump. And I read uh, when I read comments, the majority of comments will say, hell, I'm subscribed to um you know, to Spotify, that's it. I don't see why I would want to jump to SoundCloud and so on. So we're going to have to really get involved with what value added we can offer to make people switch or at least have, you know, pay the money for me as well. I mean, I think that's a $10 billion question. If, Steve, if you have something that can distinguish one service to stand out from the next, um, then Silicon Valley is looking for you. <laughs> to me, yeah. largely yeah, sure. they keep reinventing Spotify and then press releasing it and talking about right. how wonderful they are. And Spotify had to jump by saying we have the most songs, whether it was whatever that first figure when they first came into the U.S. And everybody said, boy, I mean, just about everything must be there, you know. Where I and everything s- wasn't, right? I mean, you know, yeah, all, of course. all the talkers of the Beatles weren't there until yeah. a few weeks ago, right? Right. <laughs> so everything wasn't there. Right. But um, but they did a good job. With perception, of, yeah. Pr- they proved themselves in a different marketplace as being, you know, something that would be beneficial to creators. And that was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did a great programming job where they, they, they had a lot of music. And then they also could uh, well, pick up or mimic, or, you know, or play from your own digital music collection that you purchased over the years. So mm-hmm. that, that became mm-hmm. a great bridge. Right, and then the also the other, I mean, we're not doing an advertisement for Spotify, but the other no. piece was, too, that, uh, you know, you join Spotify and you don't have to do any illegal downloading or anything, you know. So we're, we've gotten rid of the whole illegal market because you don't need to own anything anymore. And so that was a feather, another feather with people that maybe uh, socially conscious said, well, yeah, this is great now, you know, because I can be... I think they had to tap into something that also worked, right? So while I would love to believe in people enough to say that there's enough morality out there that folks wanted to pay, they wanted to pay so long as what they were paying for also was attractive uh, to the way they wanted to to listen to music, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not an expert on what Spiral Frog or MySpace Music or I mean were doing back in 2007 or 8, but I I do know that that you know this scientific survey of one me mm-hmm. um, as soon as I tapped into Spotify it just it worked right for me. For many many people YouTube just works for them. 
right? You Google something and boom, the YouTube uh, yeah. result comes right up. Yeah. Uh, so it just works for them. So I, I hope that YouTube is very successful in converting people to paying. Apple Music has tapped into another community of people because these are folks, it seems like, with the growth of Apple Music in the short term it's been around and without um, harming Spotify's ever-increasing numbers, there's an entirely different set of people who found Apple Music to be the thing that works for them. I don't know if it's because Apple already had their credit cards, they were mm. Apple-minded people, if it's the iPhone, I don't, I don't know what it is, but every single service, it seems like they're tapping into some segment, but it's always about, I think, some combination of mm -hmm. the, this morality thing. We, we want to pick. Right, and title? The people that we like. Uh, title? Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't really know much about it, um, Nobody I thought does. they had a great <laughs> yeah. press uh, conference, <laughs> but I don't hear very much else about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. when we talk about, um, uh, what did we talk about? Uh, exclusives and piracy. Last thing I heard was that uh, Life of Pablo, Kanye West's new record, which is exclusive through Tidal, mm -hmm. is being pirated like crazy. Because mm. so many people don't have title, but they want the Kanye West, West record. Mm -hmm. I saw the, uh, a video about that on Mashable today, actually. Ah. So, there you go. Can we, can we read another? Article, but it doesn't surprise me, right? It's no, I know. And that's one of the issues with um, whether it's windowing, that's kind of what we're talking about, or whether we're talking about exclusives on a format and it never goes to another format but um, or a platform. But um, could, could Marla read another tweet to you? Sure. Here we go, Marla. Uh, Joel asked, in your 20 years working for U.S. independent music labels, what are some of the significant lessons you've learned? Significant what, I'm sorry? Significant lessons. Lessons? Yes. I'm sorry. My that you've learned. Technology, damn it. Um, some <laughs> of the lessons I've learned? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Get the check uh, first. <laughs> you know, the artists and the music always matter the most. Some of these are going to sound like cliche, but they're really important to remember. Mm -hmm. We're here, we in the music business are here providing services for the artists and the creators. And if we stay in our lane, do our job, pay attention to the business aspect, know everything that we can know about marketing and analytics to put our artists in the best position possible for them to have success and spend less time telling them where, you know, to put the hook and, okay. and what to name themselves and things like that. Uh, I think that, that that's something that I've always tried to stay true to. I want the artists to create the best stuff that they can. I used to say that in a different word when I'm not on the air. Create the best stuff that you want, that you think you can create. And I'll stay out of that process, and then I'll try and help you find the right audience for that. Mm -hmm. Uh I think it's a final tweet, and this is sort of a, an overarching question about majors versus indies. So Meg Roy wanted to know, what is something an independent label can offer that other labels can't? I mean, passion, um, creative freedom. I, I just gave that mm -hmm. as an answer, but creative freedom. I think artists are very attracted to that, especially younger, newer artists. Um, the, you know, if you can tell them that, that you're just going to, you want to tap in and invest in what their creative vision is. I think that's going to speak to any artist, whether it's a musician or sculptor. Um, so I think that's something that you can offer. And then beyond that, what it is is that, you know, I'm going to help build 
what you do, right? I'll, I'll assist and help build your team. Um, but I think if you approach it as an independent label from a team perspective and make sure that you're honest with the artist, that you need their contributions too, um, and you're being honest uh, and offering the artists some things that I think they find very attractive. Actually, one more tweet that may be redundant, but um, maybe not. John Kaplan asked, what is the path towards creating and maintaining an independent label? Hmm. Like any other independent business, um, staying very mindful of the bottom line, um, you know, being passionate about your business, but not foolhardy in the way you, expect, you, you make expenses, right? I've known so many independents who I think they thought they were trying to prove something to someone so they would go all in too early. Um, and that's how you go bankrupt. Mm. Interesting. Well, we are taking up enough of your time. We don't want you to go bankrupt, so we think you should go back to work. Uh, it's only 8.53 at night, so you still have a couple more hours that you can put in on the job, Jim. Back on the spinning wheel. Yeah, yeah get right back out there. But we want to thank you very much for joining yeah, us on Music Biz 101 and more. Jim Mahoney, GM of Maryland. Thank very you. kind of you. Thank you very much, guys. No, it was great. Thank you so much for calling in and uh, being so open and honest with us. Very much appreciated, Jim. I know. Take care. So that was Jim Mahoney. Steve yes, Marconi. we'll see him in Nashville. That is great. Yeah. That's very cool. That's cool. And yeah. Marla, maybe uh, you can grab him and say hey. Yeah, most definitely I will. I'll be like, I was the girl on the radio you talked to. That's right. And yeah, he'll that say who? Me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. But we have about uh, 55 seconds left or so. Um, mm. Do you want to start playing the uh, Rob Fusari as we go out? You're doing it. All right. So we have Rob Fusari, Don't Let Love Down. Bianca Russo is making all this. Bianca Russo is the person who had Jim call in, answered the phone, got him there, got us listening, made it so that you can hear what we have to say. Bianca Russo, producer of the year. Yes. Thank you, Bianca. It's great to have you. And next week? Next week, John Cher, legendary concert promoter. Coming in? He is coming here. He is going I'll to be on assignment, so I'll be calling him. Marconi will be on assignment. Jim Donio will actually call at first yes. to give one last um, shout-out about the Music Beats Convention. Then we'll have John Cher for an hour, and that'll be great, talking mm -hmm. with him about the history of live music and promotion and making it work. Yes, and one of the most important questions is what persuaded him not to to go with Live Nation when Live Nation was accumulating all the That's a great big question. concert promoters across the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, John held out. And John was a huge concert promoter in New Jersey, central New York, a little bit of Manhattan, a uh, little bit of western Massachusetts. Huge. Uh, people don't realize it now because Metropolitan Entertainment uh, didn't join Live Nation, so they don't have the access to those um, those acts. But uh, he was tour promoter for the Grateful Dead for years and on and on, really. So this could be great next week. So you'll be calling in. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to thank Marla Cassenti for being our student co-host. Yes. Thank you, Marla. It's great to have you here. And we want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. And, of course... Professor David Kirk Philp for the MC work. And I want to thank you for listening and for all of your tweets. And we want to thank Van Dyne Bruno, Vey Wealth Management, Music Business Association. We want to thank you for listening. So instead of hello, we would like to say to all of you a good and hearty adios!